0: The Great
1: Canadian Talk Show. Here's only a couple of watts, but I brought the truth to everyone within three blocks of the west side of campus.
0: No way. Yes way. And now, let's get right down to business with Marty Gold.
1: Welcome to The Great Canadian Talk Show podcast, episode number 27 as we celebrate our 16th anniversary, and we're going to be uh, talking about uh, uh, a, a fun and uh, interesting look back at at, uh, at the early days of uh, TGCTS, our heyday on radio on KFM. Sweet, FM. sweet and
0: 16, Marty.
1: Sweet 16. In particular, we're going to take a look at uh, at one year in particular in that run, uh, and uh, and uh, the things that made made us take note in the things that made us noteworthy there's a good way of turning a phrase oh, that is uh, and, nice and we'll be doing that in the um as i said in the second half of the program uh and we're going to uh open the show uh this week uh this week with uh the uh the sad and unfortunate news that uh uh in effect uh mighty casey has struck out the bombers falling just short in the a uh, Great Cup game, uh, the 109th edition of the Great Cup. What and a great the, run, though! What a is great an excellent run. run, Kenny and I are going to be talking about it. Kenny, of course, the spirit of Kenny, a big time Bomber football fan. I'll say this, Kenny, that uh, this week I spent not as much time as I would have liked uh, looking at uh, ancient Great Cup film. And sometimes it was literally, literally like film. Sometimes it's um, you know theatrical films that were okay. made about uh, uh, you know for theatrical release. Uh, or industrial films were made about Grey Cup games in the past that were a synopsis oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. of Grey Cup week. Yeah. I started. I realized I'd never watched highlights at all of the 1959 game, and I found it on YouTube. And it uh, it's one of those industrial films where it shows Grey Cup week and the floats and the Grey Cup parade and and the what were not in the, those days referred to as hot girls, but boy, those those Miss Grey Cup <laughs> contestants were all good looking dames, <laughs> <laughs> and, and the floats were. Just unbelievable. The bombers in '59, their mascot was a monkey who rode on the float.
0: That is awesome. I know. That is epic. Uh,
1: oh, and Edward. the '59 game had players uh, that that even to me were like really obscure in bo- the course of bomber history. Carver Shannon, for instance. Uh, but the more familiar familiar names: uh, Jerry James, the the left-footed uh, place kicker; uh, Charlie Shepard, the powerful right-footed uh fullback they were both running backs along with carver shannon leo lewis and kenny plane had taken over quarterback from the injured jim van pelt so I, i've really been entertained by watching and angelo mosca playing for hamilton by the way with uh Ooh. his is hmm. uh, eye taped up from a, a pre-game injury in the warm-up he got bust edge got busted open uh very entertaining to look back at that uh, the rivalry between hamilton and uh and the bombers of playing and filonia in that instance i'm uh, picking through those highlights um, another another thing that i looked at that i never looked at extensively at all was the what what was up until today the most bitter loss the bombers have suffered in a great cup uh, worse than even the mud bowl was the 1965 wind bowl uh, oh my. when the, the bombers uh, conceded three safeties in a, in a gale-force win, trying to garner field position. And one thing, in the, the I found a two-minute highlight package. And one thing I didn't know, Kenny, was in that game in 65, that Norm Winton, who was a defensive end, was the place kicker for the Bombers for a couple of years there, in okay. 65 and 66. And Winton yeah. hit the crossbar on a field goal attempt.
0: Oh, no uh, which way. bounced
1: back into the field of play and and uh, and in those days was still ineligible uh, an eligible football, I think. Uh, Hamilton recovered, but the point is that, that 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 game was the Bombers' disappointment, which when I was a little kid and started following football, people talked about that endlessly. That Bud Grant gave up three safeties and they lost the game by six <laughs> points, right? By that margin. <laughs> That's right. Nobody ever talked about how Witten hit the crossbar on the field goal, so it was even more bitter for Bomber fans. And that was, again, a Ken Plain... Uh, Leo Lewis, Dave Ramey-era uh, offense. Uh, today's loss, however, um, I can't, can't be attributed to coaching decisions, I think, per se. But, Kenny, I want to give you a chance to speak to the one-point margin of error uh, that uh, seems to have occurred with the Argos
0: being victorious
1: 24-23. to 23.
0: I mean, the Bombers should have won that game. Statistically, the Bombers are a better team than the Argonauts. I I think uh, we just felt bad for Dinwiddie. <laughs> that, that we didn't let him win when he was playing backup quarterback you would have noticed that he put in his backup quarterback in this game and they let him much, win
1: he didn't have much choice though Ugh. and i'll tell you you know and i remember an era where pete teams would put in a backup quarterback and you just dreaded what would what the result would be yeah, and this, and... this guy was effective what the heck's going on yeah, well, the, the bombers were—he's a, a game oh, yes. winner, and I'd—I'd I'd have to think back historically to backup quarterbacks that uh, that pull that kind of victory off, and 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 you can't—no one well, is able to take anything away from the bombers. The the Argos played very well. To me, they were in—they are not as good a team as the bombers, but they outplayed them in some departments today. Uh, uh, defense and, has uh, big uh,
0: plays it, and they capitalized on that. Big, big
1: plays—the quarterback—the quarterback scramble. That set up the winning margin, and then the uh, the blocked punt, uh, blocked field goal attempt, rather at the towards the end of the game. That uh, how do you oh, coach yeah, yeah. against a blocked
0: kick? You can't. You can't. That's just it's just all luck. It's just all luck and probability, right there.
1: It really was. And there was, uh, you know, I, I watched some NFL games today. Uh, there was in the Great Cup. I don't think it was controversial, but some interestingly timed face mask calls. And the Philadelphia Eagles today uh, were victimized by a, a bad. Uh, penalty against them for a face mask call. Uh, I think that was actually on Monday night, and they benefited greatly <laughs> from from a face mask call t- today. A face mask calls in the Grey Cup uh, as well, where we're you know third down and a, a mask is getting uh, inadvertently snagged or grabbed, and the next you know it's a 15 yard penal- penalty.
0: And the I think the, the refs did a, w-
1: to continue it, was, it contributed the, to the drama of the game by giving the Bombers new
0: life. Yeah, I think the refs did a really good job. I think the the calls they made were. Great calls. There's nothing too questionable from what I saw. I got I to tell you that
1: I generally do not am not a CFL. I've not been a big fan of the league in the last few years, and uh, and I'm not alone in that. I know there's other people like that, and and the reason is the refereeing has been just god awful. But the, I don't think there's any real complaints about this game at all. The, the players decided the game, not the refereeing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that's all you want, like. You don't want the the plays to be made like major swings by plays, but yeah, they were. I think it was fair. It seemed fair to me.
1: To uh, and and you're as Homer a fan as it gets. Oh yeah. yeah. Like if you had something to beef about, you'd be beefing.
0: You no, know, it probably was my fault. I uh, I wore my my gold jersey all day.
1: <laughs> and, uh, I probably
0: should have worn my blue jersey. So it's my fault that the team lost. Yeah, I
1: might have been wearing the wrong colors.
0: Man, oh man. Jeez, sorry guys, I really screwed up.
1: Kenny, did you watch the game with the junior?
0: Uh yes, yeah, yeah. And uh, did, yeah, we had
1: what did we he had think nachos?
0: Of uh, you know what? I don't know, because the I halftime can't believe show me, him, I'm going to get to the menu. The halftime show put him to sleep.: Oh my God,
1: Do, should we talk about <laughs> well, I want to find out what your kid thought of this first, then we'll talk about the broadcast. I, I don't know. I don't he's asleep, He fell asleep. No, but what, he didn't watch the second half of the game.
0: Well, he fell asleep during halftime. He's in his room now, sleeping. You didn't wake him up? I woke him up. He went back to bed. I had all these kids. How old is he? He's uh, 13. Okay. Yeah. What was the menu today uh, to at Shea, uh, Shea Kenny? See, this is the thing. We had nachos. So he probably he had his fill of nachos, and then I heard him go, oh, and then he fell asleep, and he passed out. <laughs> <up. laughs> So. <laughs> was it a food coma, or was just his plan to load up his belly? And then I think, it I think, yeah, it's a carb nap mixed with the tranquilizer. That was the halftime show. <laughs> oh well. Okay, okay, so let's talk about the t- let's talk about the telecast then for a minute. Well, no. What was your? What did you have? Anything special? For oh, you? Um,
1: you know, because I I was uh, as as the audience uh, wouldn't be instantly aware, but uh, regular listeners may vaguely recollect. I had a. A wrestling event last night to, to host in Amaranth, Manitoba, awesome. and so my day yesterday was uh, a, a lot of driving to and from the show, and so I sort of planned things out where I, I fixed uh, you know various mm. meal products uh, for myself yesterday for the road trip, right? And then mm. I had leftovers, so I knew I was going to be eating the leftovers today. So among the leftovers were Chinese uh, honey garlic chicken balls, Oh nice and uh, some leftover, uh, I think they were actually rigatoni noodles uh, that I had prepped with some mushrooms and red peppers the other day and warmed that up, which I was knew I would sort of set aside. So a little bit of Chinese ish food, uh, and I had leftover tuna, my favorite go to food, uh, the the uh, uh, broiled or grilled tuna sandwich, and so I had a tuna melt. Uh, uh, today with uh, with the uh, I discovered sourdill pickles they are not labeled sourdills but for those of you that are fans of sourdills
0: I found sourdill pickles I didn't check the manufacturer I should have because that the is that the one you uh, sent the picture out of yeah oak barrel
1: pickles which is a but it, when you google it it's not really a brand name uh, it doesn't hmm. come up so I, I forgot to look at the label for the manufacturer they are under five bucks and considering how expensive pickles have gotten now, uh, uh, victimized by uh, various inflationary pressures, you can't find oh a decent jar of pickles for under four and a quarter, four fifty nowadays. So for an extra fifty cents, I thought, and they're refrigerated. So I figured oh, if they're refrigerated, that means that they're, you know, a fresh product.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good.
1: As they're as good as moishies. they're as good. As as what Strug, as what strubs used to be, but what I found odd in these sour pickles, sour dills, was there's no red pepper, no pepper, any kind of pepper in the jar, uh, but really? it had that, yeah, which normally that's what you see is a, uh, you know, some some red in that jar, but it was like briny, so I thought, okay, I'll give it a try for five bucks, and wow, are they excellent, and uh, I'm gonna. We'll, we'll pick up on that on another episode. So I, I knew I was going to have pickles and the leftover Chinese food and the tuna melt, and I also made a, uh, a, a concoction where I fried up some uh, leftover. Uh, I had some leftover like mushrooms and red pepper and a small onion, like just some bits and pieces. I thought, well, I'm going to fry those up with some pierogies.
0: Oh Pierogies I
1: also acquired at uh, at Freshco for us uh, 454 grams a pound of pierogies uh, for are you going to be uh, are you going to be uh, ready for this dollar uh, 17 cool oh. for it so it's like normally these pierogi packages they're like you know 690 grams or or two or two or a kilogram right so yeah, this yeah. is just a pound so it's a smaller uh, it's a it's a smaller little sack of pierogies in this case they, they were uh 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 i and i didn't notice the brand name i noticed the price i thought for a buck 17 i'm gonna get a couple because you know you can waste five bucks on a, you can waste five bucks on a burger nowadays it's garbage right
0: oh yeah yeah 100 yeah. like, percent.
1: wow were they good i thought wow like ja, and and again i i'm making them with vegetables and not just the straight pierogies but i'm like making a bit of a dish here right and yeah, yeah. Boy, were they tasty. And I go, I'm going to look at that package, just like the pickles I forgot to look at, right? I look at the package. I didn't realize Nalloway's. So this is a buck oh, 17 wow. for Nalloway for a pound of Nalloway pierogies. They're practically giving them away, and they yeah. are fantastic.
0: Yeah. Nalloway's really good. Really good product, wow. actually. That's surprising.
1: So I had not a. Typical kind of football fair. I didn't have, you know, wings and pizza and, and like that. I but I planned ahead. These are all foods that I enjoy. Diet Dr Pepper.
0: Oh, right, right.
1: on. Of course, which right I on. saved for today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so it's it, nothing fancy.
0: No, oh, it sounds good though. It's a good spread. Nice. You know, I just
1: got a message from somebody who's attending the Grey Cup game. And I don't want to name who they are they Sting. were involved they were involved in the recent civic election campaign working on one of the campaigns one of the leading campaigns not as a candidate but as a campaign worker And okay. they have just texted me and I I, I guess you know maybe I, we would have seen this if we'd have kept the the game on the screen Kenny I, I don't know okay uh, like, I don't know if this was like televised or not is what I'm saying could be that they're just like filming stuff right right cbc put a camera in my face and i said sorry i don't talk to you people (laughs) that's not all oh my god this is so funny ct oh city tv pointed a camera in my face and asked how i felt and i said what do you mean CTV called it for the Bombers.
0: <laughs> I I don't know if they mean City TV or CTV. I hope they mean City. They, they mean CTV because that's even funnier. I don't know what. Yeah, City didn't screw up that much. CBC didn't screw up that much on election night. C uh, CTV. I, I don't know that City. I don't know what City did on election night, but just it's good for somebody to
1: tell these networks, who, you know, what they think of oh, broadcast yeah. media. So speaking of broadcast media and the game in question. Oh, City TV, Uh, I'm getting texted back here in real time as we record this part of the program.
0: How does he know what we're saying? Oh, uh,
1: yeah, yeah, it was City TV and he blamed CTV.
0: What do you mean, (laughs) how do I feel?
1: CTV called it for the Bombers, so. Now, as for the (laughs) telecast itself, do you want to, first of all, my favorite uh, play-by-play and color team, dreadful, and and more dreadful, Uh, and the pregame show was just, that's just embarrassing.
0: What the heck? What the heck was that? I don't care if you have a pregame show, for forty-five minutes or two hours, but just have, say, kickoff is going to be at this time, and have kickoff at that time. Don't lie to us about when kickoff is. No, okay, say, the kickoff should be minutes.
1: a precise time, so a people seasonally. can skip all the blah blah blah. Yeah, uh, there's far too much of the blah blah
0: blah. Uh, up I, I next, the coin I, toss. We're going to have the coin toss right now. Here's the coin toss graphic. Oh, look at all these people oh, that are here. Oh, like I'm glad toss. you mentioned the coin yep. toss. Kenny. People lined up for the coin toss. Kenny, did you notice what they did? Is that they they. Uh,
1: they, I'm they broke. For, they they took a break before the coin toss instead of going right to it. Yeah, they teased it.
0: They, yeah.
1: What? And there was another point in the game. Trying to remember what what it was. It was, a, it was after it,
0: the coin toss. We're like the kickoff is and, next. Kickoff. Yes, draft. yes, yes. And then, we're yes. gonna have an interview with board people about kickoffs. They, oh, we'll oh, go shea, to interview. another commercial. It was it was so. Poorly programmed, so poorly coordinated. It poorly had nothing produced. to do with football. It had nothing to do with the game.
1: Just terrible. The number of commercial breaks are insane.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's so bad. But uh, like, but, well, it does uh, nothing to
1: actually. I mean, if somebody's a football fan because they watch NFL telecasts. Right. They get into the NFL, for instance, or even yeah. college football, which I'm a, uh, American college football that I'm a big fan of. And then you watch these CFL telecasts, and, and you're just shaking your head because it
0: alienates fans. This doesn't it's this doesn't yeah. it yeah, doesn't they, serve the fans at all. Yeah. They, they think they're trying to be inclusive by just having representation. It's like, listen, that's fine. But talk about the football game. Talk about the sport. Talk about how people got here. Like we like. I'm I'm all for for representation, but like when it's just there to be a person representing it's, some,
1: it's rep- there to be factual. What's
0: going on? It's it's nonsense. It's a oh, it Lord. it just becomes political theater. That's no that's exactly what it and, is. And I want to say that not only am I not the only person
1: who has made these this observation today, but some of the people that have made this observation are number one sports fans, but number two, not all of them are have the same point of view about these things that I and Kenny and you, you know, uh, typically express. But even people you would think would be for prolonged land acknowledgements and other such political theater were like, I'm here to watch the game. Yeah, again, have, have these, that. These just, are people that, that normally are, that... are, you know, sympathetic, supportive of these kinds of things, but... No, this is a football game for God's sake. It's not a not some sort of you know race relations summit.
0: Yeah, I like I, again. I don't. I like when they start doing their their treaties stuff. I'm like, oh, that's fine. We sing the anthem. They say that. But move Listen, on. Listen, I
1: respect. I respect that that's important to the people of Saskatchewan. They're the ones paying for the Great Cup. They're the ones yeah. trying to generate a a, pro, a margin of profit or loss on it. the yeah. I, I'm not saying that anything that any of the individuals said in it, in and of itself was overly political or in any way offensive, but the production was geared to something for far too long a period of time compounded by all the commercial breaks, which makes that stuff even more tortuous to have to sit through because we're there for a football game.
0: Yeah, like I think it's an important part of our history. I, I understand why we acknowledge it before before our sports now. It takes like what thirty seconds. You do your, your treaty acknowledgement. You do the national anthem, and then coin toss, and then oh, yes, kickoff. captains, it's the center field. Which end do you want? It
1: comes up heads. It's yeah. It, it, I, that part of it, it, it it makes it hard. You're right. When they say kickoffs, and I saw a lot of people today. Kickoffs at like five o'clock. i like, no, it isn't. You idiots. So between the the production being, in my opinion. And that of Kenny, not geared towards the fans, and the typical play-by-play and color co- combination that are just dreadful. Uh, it's it's not the best experience. The game was better than the production. 100 uh, percent. It's good to see Canadian players be standouts in the championship game. Guys like Brady Oliveira, for instance.
0: I um, do like that new camera angle where they they have the person focused and the background is is blurred out. I think that's that's kind of cool.
1: Uh, is I that, you that. Did, did they, did they, have you seen that on telecast earlier in the season?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I noticed it a, a couple weeks ago. I don't know if they ah. do it for a long time, but yeah, I think it really, I think it really stands out like that. Uh, I,
1: I, I want to say also the bombers, just to be clear, bombers have nothing to be ashamed of whatsoever.
0: Oh, no this, no, no, is, no, this is,
1: this is a, an extraordinarily, an extraordinarily talented football club. And I am no fan of Wade Miller and never have been. Uh, After his playing days, I'm saying. But uh, uh, he has built a winning franchise that is a dominant winning franchise, even in losing the championship. The Bombers could easily go on. This could be like the Bombers of the late 50s and early 60s, where they they actually didn't get to the Great Cup by by a fluke. Uh, If you would have said 1960, but they were in the Great Cup every year from 57 to 62 and won four of those seasons. And and I, this Bomber team is—they uh, they don't have to retool, in my opinion. I don't know who, who they who they may or may not lose to to in the offseason or retirement or free agency or other factors. But this is not a team that needs to retool. This is a team that that can easily with the same uh, pretty much with the same lineup, they can easily uh, steamroll uh, to the championship
0: game again next year. Oh yeah, hundred percent. If you would have said ten years ago that the Bombers are going to lose. After winning two Grey Cups, I would have been like, "Oh my God, this is amazing! We're going to win two Grey Cups in a row."
1: Yes, it, 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 we. I lived in my childhood when I first started following football. Uh, through a, a the, I, we were a couple of years into the drought, and it lasted till
0: 1984.
1: Ugh. and then 84-88. I'm in my 20s, and uh, 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 certainly a big football fan in that era because it was the Tom Clements, John Huff, uh, what an offensive show and, and great personalities on defense uh, uh, among the linebacking core guys like James West, who I became friends with uh, uh, the it was easy to be a fan from 84 to 90 in those three great cup appearances. And uh, then it was drought time again. Till <laughs> so whatever, I guess, 2001 or 2002, they made the great cup. Uh I agree with you. If 10 years ago when Buck Pierce got here, I guess it was 10, 12 years ago yeah. when he got here, if somebody had said we'd win two great cups and, you know, lose a couple more in that time period, it's like, wow, finally. Yeah. Cause boy, we've endured some dreadful. There was the Zaleski era dreadful. The, uh, the tail end of the, uh, uh, what was his, uh, what was his name? Reinbold? No, but uh, besides Reinbold, but the Dave what was the name of the coach. Trying to remember his name, but we had a, a dreadful end of his tenure here. Uh, Ryan that was after Reinbold. So, you know, like we've Dave, gone Ritchie?
0: Through,
1: Dave Ritchie, that's the guy. We've gone through some dreadful, dreadful droughts. And and there's for for Bomber fans and for the organization, there's still a sense of accomplishment. Losing on a blocked kick on the last play in yeah. a one one point game in the gray cup and the there was a pretty decent wind if i'm remembering correctly in the game today pretty decent breeze uh it's uh no shame whatsoever and the argos impressed me and i've not been overly impressed by them this season i mean i felt that the east is was clearly inferior to the west but on this day they had a they had good coaching they had yeah. a good playbook yeah. their defense uh came up big
0: outstanding big plays
1: and, and and it was a good example, to to me, especially the uh, the Grant punt return for a, a touchdown. Uh, yeah, that was unbelievable. It, it this was a very good example uh, of uh, the of of how good CFL football, how exciting CFL football can be. Notwithstanding the first half was, uh, you know, slow a little bit slow in plotting and a feeling out process.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it was a, a, it was a great game. And it was an amazing Grey Cup game.
1: I want It's definitely one of the better ones. It wasn't, you know, crazy great, uh, but it was definitely one of the better Grey Cup games uh, in my recollection of this century.
0: Yeah, I think I just, I'm
1: wrong in that regard.
0: And it was a, a clean playing game. No, they played it fast. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but the block kick, you know, there was a, the, the kicking was a major a major deal in this game yes. when they went for like what when the Argonauts went for that 66-yard field goal
1: yesterday and earlier today that there were people who were expressed vocal concern about the game coming down to the bomber kicker, but I, I don't know if the kick, the attempted winning field goal, if the kick was, the trajectory was low or if oh. there was a, 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 a missed blocking assignment that because the block was right in the middle of the line. It wasn't yeah. somebody coming around the corner. And I haven't looked at the film uh, closely enough yet to have seen whether it was uh you know wh- whether it was a mechanical breakdown uh, or, think, or 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 you know what caused the block and it could also have been just an extraordinary effort by the argos but that is an extraordinary was. effort anytime you block a kick that's one of the hardest plays to accomplish in yeah. in football is to block a block a kick whether it's a punt and a especially a field goal it's uh, it's it's plenty darn rare
0: <sighs> Absolutely, that's what makes it so great. I think that was what the second one that the second one in that game. So I don't know. Well,
1: yeah, because the bombers blocked uh, the the potential uh, uh, lead spreading, we lead widening field goal attempt by the Argos uh, just a couple of minutes a uh, couple of minutes before after yeah. the uh, Argo interception. Yeah. Uh, and 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 they tried to extend their lead when the Bomber defense stiffened uh, and and stopped them. And that block that was amazing bombers block a field goal uh, i don't know if i remember a game off the top of my head or a championship game where each team blocked a field goal that's no. pretty darn pretty darn rare yeah
0: yeah that was that was a good it was a good game
1: yeah no good complaints run. at, at all. all you bomber fans i know you're saddened by the uh, the ones of you that live and die with the franchise i know you're saddened by the results but uh it's it's uh, no there's no shame in uh, in uh, in losing a game like this uh, like this today, and uh, and uh, I know that the Bomber fans they're listen they aren't losing any season tickets over this.
0: No, 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 not at all, not at all. No, we've we re-signed Zach Solaris for a couple more years, so we got the yeah, major and, and, piece. And
1: there, there's a guy that like you know O'Shea said before the game that this guy always you always get your best with him yeah and uh, the ankle injury i mean he probably was at three quarters speed today uh that is also part of football yeah uh but i it might have affected some of the play calling people were wondering why they didn't throw more and 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 kept the ball on the ground uh part of it might have been the concern of how many times he was going to get hit
0: yeah yeah And, and and but again that's just part of the game yeah right yeah it's part of the game
1: and so we closed the books on uh, on the Grey Cup game. We closed the books on the CFL and the Bomber season. I want to mention one thing that popped into my head last night, Kenny. Have we ever talked about the very first CFL game that I went to, ever went to? Uh,
0: refresh my memory.
1: I don't think I've ever talked to you about this. Okay. The first Bomber game I ever went to was a game against the Toronto Aronauts? Argonauts. Yep.
0: Oh, synchronicity. In September.
1: Of nineteen sixty-eight. Uh I think it was a Saturday game. Uh the bombers were in the middle of the Joe Zaleski era. They had few stars. Dave Ramey, uh Ken Nielsen at flanker, Bill Whistler at defensive end, Phil Minnick at middle linebacker, Ernie Pittson at Elmer uh, in the defensive backfield. They lost uh that game 17 to 10. Uh I may, may, I don't think so. I may still have the game program. Oh, no way. I may. It was eternally memorable because towards the end of the game, Dave Ramey was the bomber star halfback who was traded the next year so the Bombers could try to get a decent quarterback finally to replace Kenny Planey who was traded for Wally Gabler. Gabler was the Argos quarterback in that game I attended. At the end of the game, there was a fight, which you did not see, and this is my first season of following football, and it was not a frequent thing and not something you expected, and there was a fight on the field uh, between Dave Ramey and Mike Bloom, the uh, Argo (laughs) linebacker, who uh, played all around the, I don't know if he ever played in the Western Conference, but he he might have played with Calgary, actually, but Hamilton, Ottawa, he was an all-star one year, I think, with Hamilton, and Ottawa on the Argos, and uh, if I remember correctly, uh, we talked about this as kids for a long time because Dave Ramey took off his helmet and started whacking Mike Bloom in the head <laughs> in his helmet with Ramey's helmet. One oh, of the reasons I'm why you scary. have rules that players have to keep helmets on their heads in the game. That
0: uh, is awesome. That's great. That's a the bom- great the CFL moment right there.
1: That was a CFL moment. The Bobbers going down to down defeat that day, 17 to 10. The second CFL game I went to, I think I think we went to an exhibition game one time, but my recollection is that the second game we went to uh, was a the following season after Gabler had been acquired. He didn't play in the first game because he hadn't learned the playbook. The second game, they come back to Winnipeg, to Winnipeg Stadium, uh, and uh, he's the starting quarterback, and they upset the mighty Saskatchewan Rough Rider juggernaut, Lancaster George Reed era. Uh, 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 team uh 16 to 14 take that Lancaster take that Lancaster and 1970 I didn't go to a game I think 71 71 or 72 we went to, I think to an exhibition game I went to a game in 74 75 when Brian Herosian was playing safety now oh, they had a guy who they brought in as a as a linebacker, they end up playing him as tight end, and i I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, it was a team in transition in 75, but it did have Steve Beard and I think Jay Washington and Richard Crumpet running back. And the early days of Dieter Brock, I'm pretty sure Brock was the quarterback when I uh, – I'm pretty sure Brock was the quarterback when I saw them uh, oh, wow. in, the, in that game. Uh, I know I saw Don Jonas play, uh, actually. Uh, and then I went to an infamous uh, playoff uh, or la- end-of-season game In 78, when Brock was injured and Harry Knight, the backup quarterback, was also injured, but they tried to conceal it. He couldn't throw 15 yards downfield. They got hosed by the Stampeders, like 35 to 10 or something, 35 to 7. In the last game of the season, Uh, lost home field advantage, if I'm remembering correctly, by the loss, and then got murdered in the semifinal pretty much by the same (laughs) score again because Harry Knight was injured and they did not want to admit it. Uh, and, And Knight was a very good quarterback. But if you don't have Harry Knight, you don't have Dieter Brock, you're going nowhere, and the Bombers went nowhere. And that was, uh, for the early part of my life, that was the Bomber games, my recollection of the Bomber games I went to, and I do have still some of the programs. Another thing that I found uh, in the office cleanup, the legendary office cleanup that is still ongoing, uh, is uh, although it is lacking the front cover, which I may have somewhere, I have a a magazine here, and it's uh, glossy, and the first page, because the (laughs) cover's not on it, torn off it, is uh, an ad for men's apparel. And it's clearly a 19, late 60s, early 70s ad. I open the page. What do I see? A greeting from Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau and a picture of him with, with Russ Jackson hoisting the Grey Cup in 1969. I have the Grey Cup 70 program. No way. And this has a profile on, uh, this has the all-Canadian team uh, listed. Uh, which is interesting that they selected it early enough when I think of it to be printed in the program, in the game program. Uh, The history of the Shenley Awards, Shenley uh, being the uh, uh, spirit of record sponsoring the uh, League uh, Player Awards, most outstanding player nominees that year, Lancaster, he won the award over Tommy Joe Coffey. The... Uh, going back to 1970, the Canadian of the year, Jim Young, a uh, wide receiver, sometimes halfback, slotback with BC Lions. Dirty 30. Uh, and he took recognition that year over Al Finuf, um, who uh, was a Montreal Alouette defensive back. And uh, Montreal ended up winning the Grey Cup that year. And Fanuf was uh, an important part of that. Best lineman that year was Wayne Harris. And who did he beat? The, the, who was, the, he was from Calgary. Who was the Eastern nominee for best lineman that year? I don't know. This was Angelo Mosca's 13th season in professional football, and in his view, the best of them all. My old buddy Ange, he thinks a busy winter on the big-time wrestling circuit where he's known as the Mighty Hercules, which, by the way, is not actually true to my knowledge. I don't know where he was built as Hercules, is responsible for this belated resurgence. Now, remember I said I saw this video of Mm -hmm. Angelo Mosca in the 59 Grey Cup with his eye busted open, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His belated resurgence in 1970, at age 33, I reported lighter and fitter than I've been in more years. I'd like to tell you," said Mosca. So, there you have it.
0: Wow, that's crazy.
1: Uh, the the amount of Angela Mosca memorabilia I had, and didn't I just? I think I I, I've mentioned somewhere on this podcast uh, that I. Dug up the Angela, my Angelo Mosca business card.
0: Oh yeah, so uh,
1: <laughs> I got all this Angelo Mosca, and I've got an autograph from Big Ange. The reason why this is important to me is uh, I produced an event for the Winnipeg Press Club when the Grey Cup was being held here in 1998, and uh, produced the Angelo Mosca roast, which wasn't really much of a roast. It was more of a tribute uh, to Big Ange, and uh, we played a few ribs on him in the awards and the the material, the gifts that were awarded to him by Kenny Plain and Brian Koschel. A uh, great broadcaster of days past uh, who was uh, representing the veterans, uh, the legions, I think uh, Brian was. Uh, boy, I was a great, what a great experience that oh, I got so many stories about that, that event. Remind, next year, Kenny, for Great Cup, remind me, because it'll be the 25th anniversary and we'll discuss it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so I'll set aside this uh, program. We'll uh, move, uh, Take. we'll hit the break. We'll move into uh, a very the... special break. A very spe- now this is special. We're uh, the second part of the program. We're going to be talking about our 16th anniversary, uh, uh, and one year in particular. And you know, Kenny, just to tell you, in researching that year, that that year, the year anniversary show for the year that we focus on, I found yeah. my post for it, my online post. Oh yeah. And here's who was on on that on on the show that particular year, as I say, that is the uh, uh, the the um, main topic of our uh, look back at, uh, at, uh, our radio history, who was on that day in the anniversary show spirited Kenny. Oh, uh, That's young great.
0: Josh. Oh, Josh is amazing.
1: Scott Taylor, Kelly, Den, all of them, as people will hear or uh, mentioned in the anniversary flashback, uh, and Joan Wilson of Unicity taxi and Unicity is when was one of the, uh, major sponsors, uh, uh, of uh, of the program throughout our run on Kick
0: FM, Scott uh, Taylor's a class act. I gotta say, he's like the classiest guy in Winnipeg. I think. he, I'll tell you, he uh, uh, <laughs> he. You know that the
1: first time I met him, first time I met him was, uh, and I've told this story before about the in in bits and you know snippets of it uh, was when he was working at the University of Winnipeg and he booked in Walter Shefchuck, uh contacted Walter who he knew from the U of W. Yeah. Uh, around the U of W and uh, booked a the new brand wrestling for a beer bash in Riddell hall. And I, it was one of my earliest, if not my, you know, it would have been maybe my third time refereeing a uh, wrestling matches. Okay. I know it wasn't the first, I probably had refed one show in Ontario, uh, l- like weeks before what we're talking about, uh, right. th- this show at Riddell hall. And, uh, and I was refereeing and as I, get into this, as I get into the ring and Scott's the ring announcing and he introduced me as the greatest Jewish athlete since Samson. <laughs> <laughs> so indeed, you're correct. Oh, he is the classiest guy he around.
0: Is amazing. Uh,
1: as we head into the break, you're actually going to want to listen to this uh, one minute and four second piece of promo as uh, over the course of the weekend, I mentioned Amaranth and you're going to hear for a change instead of, Instead of me doing an interview, I'm being interviewed in relation to the uh, big wrestling event next Sunday that you'll hear all about at the end of part two when I make the pitch for you to get the tickets, come out, and see me in the ring. And believe me, there aren't a lot more times that's going to be happening. <laughs> so I'm going to be in a fight next Sunday, and uh, you're gonna you're going to want to come out and see this. And bring, bring the kids, bring the aunt, bring the uncle, bring the granny with the uh, pointed knitting needles <laughs> or whatever they used to poke wrestlers with the night, in the, in the smoke filled holidays. Uh, uh, so take a listen to the, uh, me being interviewed for a change by a guy that uh, usually I interview. Uh, and then the back with the 16th anniversary special here on the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast.
0: This is the Zombie Killer Mentolo here. And I would like to introduce my guest at this time, Dr. Marty Goldstein. Now, Marty Goldstein will be one of the 50 competitors. On November 27th to compete for a chance to win a match against the CW Championship in
1: the Rumble to remember. It's going to be something to remember. I am going to once again be entered. And here in the latter stages of my career, I am going to give it Every ounce of effort I have. And whether the champion is yourself, Mentolo, my longtime good, close personal friend, whether it's Kevy Chevy, it doesn't matter who has that title belt. And I don't care who's standing in front of me. I don't care if it's Sean Martins. I don't care if it's Kevin O'Doyle. I don't care if it's Adam Knight. I don't care if it's Davy Boy Smith Jr. They are all going to taste the corkscrew. And then when it's over, my hand will be raising victory. And maybe it'll be me and you, mm, the anniversary show. Dr. Marty Goldstein, I would like to wish you best wishes. Good luck.
0: And we might see you at the anniversary show.
1: Come on out to the Rumble to remember. You'll see something you'll never forget. Welcome back to the Great Canadian Talk Show. Uh, And uh, now that we've uh, completed speaking uh, about the important matters uh, and uh, the uh, historic Grey Cup uh, affair, the real news, uh, the real news. The real news. Now we're going to go, now we're going to swing around to things that are. uh, Bel- unbelievable but true, slightly less in importance. The 16th anniversary of the first broadcast of the Great Canadian Talk Show on 92.9 KICK FM.
0: Could you imagine the trouble we would be in if we have been doing that for 16 years? I don't see how
1: there wouldn't have been forces at play that wouldn't have taken a big run at a program like what we were doing on radio in Winnipeg because it simply was... Far too inconvenient to the the people pulling strings and the power brokers, and especially you know we were like the coal and the canary when it comes to cancel culture in this city.
0: Oh, especially yeah, especially in Winnipeg. Especially, you're like yeah, the first first exactly. to be canceled, and it broadcast on C, the CTV news show. I remember that uh, broadcast.
1: They had so, like the
0: camera pointing through that little hole. Yeah, through yeah. <laughs> the, the
1: through the window in <laughs> the door. So
0: so I don't know
1: that. And and look, it was never. Yeah, I can tell you. It, although I wanted to establish a franchise of this, my idea was to actually have people like yourself at campus stations across the country. This was the idea that Rick Baverstock and I had had uh, had been formulating to try to get a national sponsor, net two national sponsors actually, and then to dump the format of this uh, with the guidance into as many campus stations as possible so that there'd be a spirited Kenny. I know that's a hard concept to, to, to grasp. A spirited Kenny, so to speak, uh, in every uh, campus uh, studio that picked up the, the program format, and I would have become like a senior correspondent and not quite senior, but getting there, uh, a- and guided the the overall programming, but give each region its own version of the great Canadian talk show and then maybe do a national weekend version. Uh, so I guess it would have turned in a little green or something, oh. but that was the idea was to take this format and to to um, have it branch out into as many communities in Canada as possible to democratize uh, news coverage uh, and to also, uh, you know, frankly, sort of shake the campus community radio station System up in in trying to provide um, a common thread of how to provide public information and how to cover news uh, in the communities, and I think it would have been very successful. I mean, there are people that approached me about doing this uh, uh, in the latter stages of 2010 because of the success of our civic election coverage. Uh, but I personally did not imagine, like, believe me, I I, I would not have been sitting in a chair. Uh, from you know four to 6 p.m or whatever uh every weekday uh at, i didn't picture that for me at this stage of life and and i don't think that that would have been i don't think that that would have worked from for me because there's a point at which you've got to get up out of the chair and go for a few walks and, and oh yeah and you know one other thing i is my my blood pressure though we did not know it at the time but but i had like um significant health issues uh uh that um were they weren't getting out of control but we got them under control before they got under control but my blood pressure was like sky high uh and now it's slightly less than sky high uh but there would have been much trouble caused certainly through the second term of sam cates uh certainly through the remainder of the greg selinger term and you know, listen we you know we we uh, managed to uh, nonetheless, without the platform of broadcast radio, we were still able, through the podcast, uh, the original iteration of, of the podcast, which went on for a couple of years, and also through City Circus on Shaw TV, uh, we were able to to effect change, to, uh, to provoke uh, new thoughts about matters that were within the public realm. Uh, Certainly, the filing of FIP has continued in the absence of a of a radio microphone, unabated, <laughs> and, and so the work continued just with a without the, the size of a platform, and frankly, without the pressure of me having to 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 be on um, like every single day like that. That's it. Uh, you know, like when I look back at at and may, maybe it. it relates to personality maybe it relates to format but like how did peter warren get up in the mornings and do the action line you know for like 30 years that's that is it 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 comes across easy because it is easy to do open line radio in many respects but to to try to cram all that information and and remember things that much in your head um that's a long 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 stretch and i don't know if in modern radio any of those accomplishments the peter warrens the jack webster's i don't know modern radio of any of that can be um uh we we will not see the likes of that again no like, no i mean in, in addition to the corporate changes right the changes in the um uh in the landscape
0: uh, the, the radio landscape itself yeah not in radio anymore podcast form, maybe that's There's different. some podcast that are doing uh that have institu- institutional memory now, but that's mostly because of people that were good in radio are quitting radio and making more money on podcasting. Uh,
1: yes, everybody but us, apparently. Oh, um,
0: yeah. <laughs> it, it, one of the so,
1: things that is... Uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not not spurred, but one of the reasons why uh, we're doing this is, first of all, the... the uh, uh, serendipity? Is it serendipity of uh, of our scheduling a podcast recording on the anniversary date of the launch on Kick FM? Uh, you don't have those kinds of opportunities very often. You also don't turn sweet sixteen very often, as Kenny is fond of reminding me. Uh, Just once. But it, uh, the pr- project office uh, continues around here. Uh, a little less of the uh, sorting and cleaning up. This week than last, it, it, uh, uh, it didn't progress at the same pace, but it did get less organized. It's it's continuing uh, on uh, with just a couple of hours a day as opposed to entire days devoted to this. And you would you would still be impressed, Kenny, by how things are being both. Sorted and thrown out, but I had set aside a number of documents that'll go into a you know a folder that'll be nearby, and I, I realized that there was a bit of a theme to them, um, and some of it uh, some of the stuff that I was uh, uncovering, uh, you know the things you save I thought should be shared. One thing that, uh, and and I'll I'll go back to it to I guess to explaining this the uh, the Great Canadian talk show um, originated on. Uh, 107.9, the Wave, as uh, and launched on July the first of 2004. It, that was uh, kind of a, oh, yeah. uh, of a of an experiment. Uh, although it is actually the 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 project with that radio station, which uh, came to a crashing halt. The radio station did came to a crashing halt after myself and others uncovered a series of serious irregularities in the conduct of that so-called business by the license holder. <laughs> um, which Oops. ended up so so bad <laughs> and so complex that that even David Asper couldn't figure out how to how to uh, convince the CRTC that, that the station should not be killed when he tried to take it over. Um, but the the program started on on Canada Day in 2004. And we then marched off to uh, to the 10 year reunion for Roughhouse Wrestling in front of the zoo. Uh, as part of the Osborne Village Street Festival. So it was a big day all the way around that, that first day. And, and one of the reasons why I mentioned that, uh, that uh, th- it was almost like a summer replacement series, except the station itself, uh, the station in question, launched on Canada Day that year. So it wasn't really... <laughs> <laughs> it, it, what a weird time. Uh, and it,
0: was, but- it was focused on Canadian content.
1: It was focused on Canadian content and Canadian music. That was the, the format, although what it was really focused on was pretending to run a broadcasting school to fleece students out of tuition money or fleece whoever would put up tuition money for students, and it never really even got to that stage because uh, that's the kind of business plan that, that it had um, and didn't actually work. Uh, but that was actually... Uh, the studio was in Sam Cates' old office on McDermott, number one, uh, with the with the bank vault, and number two... Uh, The other thing that surprised uh, that surprised me when I thought about this is that is actually where uh, Kenny and I first
0: met. That's right. I was one of the students that was fleeced.
1: (laughs) Were were you actually? Did you you actually put up any money?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. It was through Winnipeg South Tech that I found that program, and yeah, that's. I remember going to it on two days, and then somehow I, I got in the mail certificates for uh, passing that program, and I was there for two days. <laughs> you know, I never, I never knew that, or I would have raised that.
1: Well, I couldn't have it with the CRTC because I didn't know it, and I didn't, you didn't come in a kick FM until about a year after after we started. Yeah, on after the station. it was all
0: over. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So you got wow. So you got a certificate after attending classes for
0: two days. Something like that, yeah, yeah. I, did, I it didn't have the right vibe that that place, you know. I was like, this doesn't seem right. If this is radio, I don't want anything to do with it. That's what I thought.
1: Uh, well, maybe you can tell the audience then how you came to drift into Kick FM and uh, join the Great Canadian Talk Show.
0: Oh, there was an ad for uh, like producers or something like that for. Yeah. Uh, Ops. Kick FM on the Milkman uh, Unlimited website. And I just emailed Rick Barassock and said, you know, I'm interested in, in doing radio stuff. Like, is there anything that I can do on your station? And he's like, uh, check out the Great Canadian Talks and see what you can do there. And then I showed up there. Uh, or we t- we talked on the phone. And he said, show up on Monday or whatever. And we sh- I showed up. And the first thing he gave me was that that, I don't know, 200-page document for the uh, spirited energy. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're like, go through this and, and point out anything to, of note. And I'm like, oh, I don't even know what I'm looking for. And and I can't read very fast, so <laughs> I don't know what you expect. Yeah, but me. we came up with some, well, that's going to actually come up uh, in, in the course of this discussion.
1: And uh, it was good that I gave you that because, better, you wade through all that all that uh, FIPA documentation. That was a FIPA, I guess, on the Fed, on the uh, provincial government, rather.
0: That's right. That's right. And,
1: and, uh, and I mean, we, we mind that because no other radio program, A, had the inclination because all the commercial stations, one way or the other, either them or their, their corporate partners had benefited from the largesse doled out by the Selinger government uh, in that uh or the doer? I guess I was was Spirit and energy doer or salvager. Wow, I, I think it was, it was both. I think it was doer. Yeah, but but everybody everybody was tainted by that money being tossed around. No one more so than the Winnipeg Free Press tabloid newspaper, uh, and uh, uh, and uh, no no format permitted people to really like discuss what was in those documents. No, and discuss and discuss how much money was being thrown around. In in what was really a precursor in many respects to what we've seen happen with the federal government in the last number of years, that one of ways of controlling uh, criticism in the broadcast industry and the in the print media as well is by tossing around those dollars. Ah, shame if something would happen to your. We gotta
0: save the newspapers, Marty.
1: They're uh,
0: institutional. uh, One of the reasons why
1: why. We carried on with that, way. Well, I carried on with that program, uh, uh, and uh, to make the long story short, uh, a couple of years after the Wave FM experiment, uh, I testified at a CRTC hearing in Winnipeg. I was actually, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, I was subpoenaed to it, the hearing in September of 2006, and lo and behold, at one day of the hearings, and this was specifically into the K- the Wave uh, license uh, Harmony Broadcasting is what it was called. Corporate. Oh yeah, Harmony. Harmony Broadcasting. The what? What, what an oxym is that an oxymoron for uh, ironic? What's what's the term for a that name for it's that? Definitely em- ironic. For, for what happened with that enterprise? Yeah. Uh, and in March, a a phalanx of uh, what turned out to be Red River College uh, CRECOM students, along with a number of uh, grown-up adults accompanying them. One of them was Rick Baberstock. He watched me testify uh, to the CRTC, uh, a- a- as well as, if I'm remembering correctly, there's a couple of other individuals that testified as well who had been uh, similarly screwed around in, th- in their radio aspirations. Um, and on the following Monday... I think it was, I got an email out of the black, like, giving out my business card and Baverstock had introduced himself. And like on the Monday, I got a, an email out of the blue that basically simply said, how'd you like to bring the great Canadian talk show to kick FM? And so I made a couple of phone calls to see what some other individuals thought. And within a sh- it was, that was like November 6th or something. And then we were right on the air on the 20th. I was still doing uh, some various tasks for Cosmo on city FM, including great cup coverage that weekend. And uh, one of the big thrills of my life was uh, corralling Ron Lancaster. And I, I didn't want to wash my hand ever again. I shook hands <laughs> with Ronnie Lancaster and corralling Ron Lancaster for uh, Cosmo and uh, Scott Taylor, who I did a lot of work with Scott Taylor in that era, that people through that era uh, with Scott Taylor Sports, uh, writing articles and doing commentaries uh, on radio and such things that uh, a lot of people don't remember. But they were they were instrumental in in ensuring that I had a profile that, uh, that, that we could pick up audience uh, right out of the gate. Uh, I think Baverstock understood it. Uh, but we did pick up audience out of the gate because there was nothing like what we were doing on Winnipeg radio before or since. And one of the reasons why these kinds of programs are important, I'm going to read you a headline and some comments, Kenny, and 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 then pose a question to you. Here's right. a headline. It's from the Winnipeg Free Press. Axworthy still. It's not from today, just to be clear. Axworthy <laughs> still committed to renewal of downtown UW president to speak at trade show next week. Oh, yeah. For more than three decades, Lloyd Axworthy's harbored a keen interest in the subject of downtown renewal. First ignited when he was the U of W's Institute Director of the Institute of Urban Studies. He noted when he was a federal cabinet minister in the 80s, he played a key role in helping the Forks development get up and running and attracting new economic development to the downtown. Okay, you ready for this, Kenny? Yep. Including the National Research Council and Air Canada buildings. Oh, It's not it's not is are, are either of those considered successes nowadays
0: no no hmm. especially not the air canada building
1: now again as president of the u of w Axworthy is uh in a position to contribute to the ongoing efforts to revitalize winnipeg's downtown including delivering a keynote address downtown renewal is one of the central themes of this year's one day show tickets are 4.99 at the door said dave angus who is then president of the chamber of commerce that's in 2005 Okay.
0: Does he mean $5 or $500? No, the year 2005. So we're
1: on the air in 2004 for that summer run. 2005, you've got Axworthy still talking about downtown renewal. And you know what? It is now from 2005 to today. How many years is that, Kenny?
0: 2017.
1: Is that 17 years? 17 to 5 is 2022. This is over 17 years later. And Lloyd Axworthy is still talking about downtown renewal. The projects that are mentioned in this uh, article, uh, I mean, Air Canada moved. So that failed.
0: Who would have thought that keynote speeches don't fix anything?
1: So one of the reasons why gadflies like ourselves are important is because this city has been just mired in the same talking heads, and I don't mean talking heads from the radio perspective, from the political perspective, whose, whose, whose ideas have failed over and over and over and over and over again. And we have a downtown that's in worse shape than ever. So talking about things like that, speaking truth to power was something that we specialized in. And and in 2007, we got our sea legs under us, so to speak, kick FM uh, and and began developing format. The very first program, I do this by memory because I've just recently uh, put all the notebooks, all the daily logbooks. I've just actually put away in a in a uh, uh, storage bin uh, with other sort of seminal documents uh, oh, wow. of from from the broadcast end. But the first day by memory, in that first hour, and it knocked people like they they were shocked at the the guest lineup. On the first day, which was included Adrian Batcher, then with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, my buddy Brian Smiley of Manitoba Public Insurance, Kelly Den of CTV and Kenny Boyce with the uh, city with the uh, 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 city of Winnipeg. The uh, uh, I, I'm not quite sure what they called the department nowadays, but he was the film commissioner, uh, film commissioner back in those days. That was the first day and it served notice to people that this was a, a program that was able to attract po- not just positive attention. But uh, but ensure that this wasn't, um, you know, this wasn't just uh, going to have guests on that were sort of typical of campus radio, that we get people with high profiles to talk about substantive issues. And by uh, May of 2007, after about six months, one of the things uh, that. That we eventually worked our way towards was an interview with the Speaker of the Manitoba Legislature, George Hicks, and that began because we were holding, again, speaking truth to power and holding him accountable. Here was a guy who was Speaker of the Manitoba Legislature who never once owned property in the in the, the riding he represented. He never lived anywhere close to it. He was an NDP parachute, uh, and and. Uh, as I recall from our calculations, had made over a million dollars and had never made a speech in the House. Oh once he was Right, gets a point. Here's an email we got on the 18th of May of 2007 from a resident uh, listener of uh, South. Were they in South Point, Douglas? I think. We talked last week about oh the subject Hicks the liar. <laughs> <laughs> we talked last week about Hicks and the silent triv- treatment he's been giving. Well. Well, I guess silent meaning to, to uh, not just to us, but to, uh, in fact, to other to constituents. I was ticked, ticked enough to email the man no less than four times in 10 days because he didn't reply after seven days. On Monday, he came to my mother's house, but said not a word, handed out a pamphlet and split. Now, yesterday, he phoned me saying he got my email. I sent him four or five. He said something. He only has half a computer. This only gets better. I challenged him half on Half a silence. computer? Even Maybe he only had access to a computer <laughs> half the time. I challenged him on his silence and refusal to appear on your show. He denied being asked to appear on your show. <gasps> he <sighs> denied that he said nothing That's on the good. doorstep of my mother's house. When I asked about crime in Point Douglas, he blah blahed about more crime and pro- more police and prosecutors in Ottawa. He actually first said that people want to talk about crime, talk to Chomiak, the minister responsible. What an evasive putz. <laughs> <laughs> I asked him what law or statute allowed him to avoid public debate. He said, there isn't one. All speakers of the House of Canada have the same privilege as him, he intoned. He also said candidates don't debate, just leaders debate. All in all, he sounded like a political robot.
0: Only With leaders no input, debate, eh?
1: Yeah. <laughs> With no input on any issue, evasive and unbelievable, just like Dewar. There you go. I suggest you keep pounding on this silent speaker. He deserves everything you say about him.
0: Silent speaker. That's a that's a good, good phrase.
1: Yes, the silent speaker. And Eventually, George Hicks did appear on the air. And after a few months of, after that interview, he uh, he tried to lean on Jeff Zabutsky, the Red River College president. We give your college a lot of money. And, uh, and the interview was turned over to one of the vice presidents to listen to, who was no fan of of mine or of the program and said, well, that was actually a rather pleasant interview. It didn't sound like there's anything wrong with it. But it was that kind of radio that where people realized that this was something Winnipeggers could invest their their time and they could invest their emotions in. And we weren't going to let them down. And, and uh, George Hicks did, in fact, deserve everything he got, and he probably deserved a little bit more uh, to speak of. Now, what this did was, in the context of Winnipeg Radio, it, it, it severely upset the apple cart, because people weren't used to, uh, in the absence of Peter Warren, Charles Adler was by that stage, if Ugh. he was even still in Winnipeg. They weren't used to the narratives being challenged I- I- even at that stage. And so the hate mail, and we got hate mail right off the top, like from the first week, one clown sent an email to to, <laughs> to uh, Rick Baverstock uh, complaining about this program, interrupting the, the music and and claiming that the, there was uh, some sort of flaw in the format uh, to allow this. And, and that jerk was a CBC commentator, as I exposed immediately on the air.
0: Oh, no way. The-
1: yeah, I was, I'm trying to remember his name, Brandon Boone or something. I don't mean to insult anybody named Brandon Boone if I, if I got that wrong. It was something like that. This guy was a CBC commentator, and here he is complaining about what's what's being said and done on a campus radio station. Yeah. Uh, when, as this program became more successful, and as other people didn't show up for the radio shifts for their programs, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Baverstock extended the program from 4 to 5 to 4 to 5.30, which got a, a the following um, uh, response from one of the Kick FM listeners. I'm writing to express my disappointment with the decision to extend the Great Canadian Talk Show from the original one-hour format to an hour and a half. I listen to Kick FM for the music, not the ranting and raving of conspiracy theorists, right ring ideologue. <laughs> Marty Gold, from my understanding Not even his real name, has one and a half hours to Dispute toxic rhetoric, often spinning Conspiracy theories, and maligning Public officials without allowing time to Rebutter a to any of his salacious allegations His conduct is borderline Slanderous And reflects poorly on your station
0: uh, That's what uh, was the big deal from the uh, Winnipeg Free Press, it's like, this isn't even his Real name! <laughs> I heard Dan Lett Saying that all the time, uh, this isn't his yeah, well, real name
1: I, no, I, I have a, a few examples. For, really I have a few
0: examples for clowns. I did at the time for
1: clowns like that. Uh, Alan Berg, who didn't use his real name and was still shot to death by a Jew-hating anti-Semite in Denver in his driveway. One of the reasons why Jewish broadcasters for many years did not use their real names to start with. Actually, my mistake. Alan Berg did use his real name to make sure he couldn't be be found. Uh, that uh, nobody could say he was hiding. Uh, Charles Adler. There's a guy who, as I understand, that's not his real name, and and the list goes through numerous examples, including in the Winnipeg market. So that was not something new. Still, my God, somebody in radio with a stage name. Oh my Somebody word. tell Charles P. Rodney Chandler. Jesus, <laughs> I am not a card-carrying member of any political party but uh, I've met many politicians who are trying to improve our quality of life I checked his allegations with one of the politicians I happened to bump into socially and he assured me the spin couldn't be any further from the truth than the rant Mr. Gold presented the nature of his a- attacks on politicians is very upsetting as well it's one <laughs> thing for Mr. Gold to disagree with policies and legislation but he also personally maligns those men and women who are duly elected and acting in our behalf that's because some of them are jerks and not right. qualified. But anyways, that is the blogosphere nonsense and reflects poorly on Kick FM and speaks volumes to the maturity of Mr. Gold. It is particularly upsetting to think that this biased program is the learning model for CRECOM students.
0: I mean it was a model because it was a successful show.
1: Yeah. Uh, one uh, it's a better example of what not to do or say than one how one should conduct themselves. My suggestion of the show must continue. Cut it back to the original hour format. And let's listen to the great music. Let's kick apart for the rest of Winnipeg Radio. Or discuss the need for either Mr. Gold to provide more accurate information or more balanced view of our political landscape. I want to take this moment to remind everybody, after over 800 broadcasts on Kick FM, not a single complaint to the CRTC was made, let alone upheld. I've been so disgusted by his rants, I found myself listening less and less to Kick as a result. Oh, yeah.
0: We don't want Jack Kick anyway.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, that disrespect extor- extended all the way in terms of, you know, that's disrespect to politicians. Imagine how bad it got uh, by January of 2008 when we put out our own press release. Crocus Records revealed tactics control bad press.
0: Oh, yeah, that was a good one.
1: New documents revealed the cozy relationship in 2003 between the Crocus Investment Fund and the editor of the Winnipeg Free Press, Nick Hurst. The editor discussed letters from readers critical of the fund with CEO Sherman Kreiner and told him it was becoming, quote, difficult to keep such letters out of the newspaper. (laughs) Now, Winnipeg never would have heard a peep about that. If it wasn't for Kick FM and our program. In a a breach of trust, he sent Kreiner one of the letters, which challenged the story about a $10 million cash infusion, infusion touted as an investment, which was blatantly structured as a high interest loan. The free press had published a glowing story about the $10 million received from the Fond de Solidarité. From, right, from Quebec. Yeah. Uh, Hearst, uh, Kreiner told Hearst, I know that you will continue to make judgment calls required as letters are presented for publication, but I presume you will not print letters with assertions that we both believe are untrue and libelous. Yeah, except for the fact that it was a loan and was dressed up as as, as an investment, and it was a lie, and the uh, auditor co- in a crocus called it out. But what do we know? This co- Hearst replied. reply, this kind of letter becomes insidious if followed by others. It suggests there really is something wrong.
0: There was something wrong.
1: <laughs> the letter was never printed, but the fawn loan was the centerpiece of a scathing and auditor general's report into the collapse of Crocus after investors were misled about the purpose of the 10 million in the annual prospectus. The loan covered a serious liquidity shortfall, which NDP finance minister Greg Selinger has always publicly denied. Um, uh,
0: are there still letters to the editor in the paper nowadays? I don't yeah, even know. Yeah,
1: there are. Yeah. Oh. God knows what kind of a process they go through to decide what to run and what not to. <laughs> it's not like they can ask. Uh, it's not like the editor can turn around and ask uh, Sherman Kreiner anymore. Duncan That's true. Guts. Uh, now, so you know, in that regard, we we to function as a voice for P. In this case, investors in the Crocus Fund, but a voice for the the little guy, maybe the medium sized guy to some extent, people to to uh, to with whom. Um, there was common cause that that was holding government to account. By the end of November of 2008, um, there was a, a family that had a bad problem with the public trustee. And in this case, it was the family of Louis Knizat uh, with regards to an order of committeeship where the their father had been committed. And uh, the Marilyn, uh, Marilyn Andleton, the daughter, uh, had been in Winnipeg visiting uh, visiting her father and trying to straighten this out, and heard the program and sent us an, an email. Um, and here's what her email said with regards to the letter from the public trustee to the to Mr. at sons. The public trustee considers a client's personal financial affairs to be confidential. The public trustee is required to provide a complete accounting record at the end of the administration of a client's affairs. An accounting record will be provided to the client. At his or her request, Marty, the client is my dad. My dad was found incompetent. So how in the heck is he supposed to ask for an accounting record of his financial affairs? And if the public trustee is required to provide an accounting at the end of the client's administration, this could mean when he passes away or becomes incompetent, That suggests to me the public trustee is not required to be accountable to anyone because the client isn't capable of asking for records, nor is the client capable of understanding the records. All... As we have all been saying, there's no accountability when it comes to the public trustee. We dived into that like nobody's business, uh, got John Gerard involved. And by the time it was done, Mr. Knizat's money was released. They even tried to charge the family $5,000 as an administration fee illegally on the way out the door. And we sh- shine the light brightly on that situation, stuck up for, for Louis and for his family and got them uh, his assets back under... Uh, their control instead of the public trustee milking this poor guy and his family and, and his uh, accrued assets uh, to uh, you know line their pockets. Uh, that's again the kind of journalism you just don't hear uh, like anywhere, like anywhere else. Uh, and and that kind of work I don't know is really being replicated in the modern in the modern day anywhere. And, well, certainly not on Winnipeg radio. You never hear one one talk show that has. Uh, taken a listener complaint or a listener concern and advocated on their behalf.
0: No. Not anymore.
1: I I have a schedule here. uh, Well, actually, I'll skip through. uh, 2009, we continued to build on that and more so got deep into civics. By that stage, uh, Mayor Cates was appearing uh, somewhat regularly on the program until he stopped appearing regularly when a lot of questions started getting asked. This is in the 2009 uh, and 10 era, but we had Sam in the only media outlet he would give the time of day to for a period of time. And as we got deeper into civics, as opposed to provincial matters, uh, we continued to be, the uh, as a drive-home show, the only voice in Winnipeg that stuck up for drivers of vehicles. Uh, And uh, this included uh, going after the attack on drivers that was being used to leverage uh, bikeways and bike lanes. Uh, One of the things I dug up, Kenny, was dear residents of the Assiniboine Avenue area, read the bikeway. (laughs) with their plan for the exciting new facility signed by Ruth Marr with a consultant who by the time Marr Consulting Services was done Mayor Kate said that they will never get another contract again Uh, after they screwed up Assiniboine so badly one thing that this letter uh, didn't mention uh, was that they were going to have to spend extra money to redo the corners because buses coming up Kennedy couldn't actually make the turn and got hung up on the medians that they had created oh yeah, what a mess And we were at the forefront of it, or as Councillor Jenny Gerbassi referred to it, the right-wing talk show. That's right. I still get along with Jenny. I've got, actually, in my hands here, a sample from November 2009, Kenny, a sample um, uh, operator schedule, which had you in on the Mondays, Adam Toy on the Tuesdays, Shanalee on the Wednesdays, uh, Denise on the Thursdays, and then a split between you and Denise on on the Fridays with the uh, I guess there's maybe the odd other slot with other individuals, but we had it reg- regularly scheduled. And, and now to go back to that person saying, oh, what a horrible model this is for students. Adam Toys had a, a uh, long career now in Alberta radio. Channel Lee has been with CBC forever and a day after going up to, uh, I think it was the Northwest Territories. So it might have been none of it uh, uh, in the earlier stages for career and also worked at CJOB. Denise is uh, uh, now a lawyer. Oh no way! I believe in Tor- I believe she's in Toronto. I haven't checked in on her in in, in a while, and uh, the other name I mentioned, of course, is you. <laughs> yeah,
0: still kicking uh, around.
1: <laughs> one name not on this list from two thousand nine, but what that that um, it's kind of odd that she wasn't on the list to op. Uh, but it might have just been sort of something for November that year. But on December 4th, 2009, there was a letter sent on the City Hall stationery by Mayor Sam Cates to uh, another one of our student interns and who also opt uh, at, at various stages, Stasia Franz. And uh, Stasia also going on to earn a law degree and work in comms for Premier Pallister and run her own uh, comms agency. And here is a letter that Sam Cates, a two-page letter. I want to personally thank you. I'd like to personally thank you for taking the time to write to me. It is encouraging to know that so many young people in our city have an interest in civic issues and policy. And this was uh, her writing, uh, uh, Stasi, on behalf of the program, uh, researching for the program, the use of handy transit vehicles in diamond lanes. Uh, And I guess the question was whether uh, whether or not the Highway Traffic Act permitted uh, handy transit vehicles to be used in diamond lanes. Um, and the, the mayor uh, referred, uh, 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 should the citizens of Winnipeg show support for the closure of Assiniboine Avenue, I definitely support its inclusion in the active transportation plan. Of course, uh, the citizens of Winnipeg did not show support for the uh, closure of Assiniboine Avenue. The audit uh, into Assiniboine that was, uh, came out in, tw- I think, January 2011, January 2012, blew it completely out of the water, including the fact that there was like 30 stakeholders never consulted. Uh, the only people to really talked to were the bike lobby by the consultants, and that led to Kate's... Uh, and uh, all of council unanimously accepted the audit, which just showed how that entire thing was rigged. Uh, but again, to show you the credibility the program had, that the mayor would take the time to respond to Stasia in that manner. Now, that didn't mean that the... Um, that didn't mean that the uh, criticisms hadn't ceased through that fall. Um, I,
0: there were lots of people that came through the program that were just firecrackers, that were just doing well, such and, good and work here's at such a one- young age. Here, here's a response to somebody that I guess had sent an email.
1: I don't have the originating email that, that relates directly to the whole bike lane controversy. Uh, somebody near, near named Blaine. It's clear you don't understand the role of our show. It's my job to analyze local affairs and investigate the facts as presented by government lobby groups and mainstream media. And that way, I'm more active on this file than every other newsroom combined in the city. The fact it didn't occur to anyone, uh, to any one of our city officials, or me- media outlets. That drivers' interests, what I just talked about, are not being represented at these various planning meetings is admitted by the mayor and the AT coordinator, that would be Kevin Nixon, shows how badly the system is tilted towards favorite causes, pet projects, and political lobbyists without a second thought by those involved. We're supposed to represent all of us. No one spoke out for the residents of the neighborhoods or the businesses or the drivers rely on access and egress of city streets until we came along with our zero-budget, 250-watt signal, and inexperienced students and volunteers making inquiries and going to meetings. Uh, that would be, for instance, like uh, like uh, Kim, uh, right? Yeah Kim, the, yeah. Kim, the parking enforcer, to ask questions the professional reporters didn't think important. Now, everyone at City Hall is being forced to think about the true meaning of consultation. We have affected change while other newsrooms and media outlets with far more resources abandon the people affected in favor of their friends in the bike-slash-green-slash-anti-car lobby to call what we've done armchair quarterbacking is incorrect. Thanks for listening. I know you're a big fan of Kick FM, and we appreciate your support. <laughs> now, in September of 2009, uh, uh, having taken apart on another... Uh, there's another email again, I don't have it at hand where somebody had had, uh, had launched a criticism uh, of the program and I uh, picked apart who the who the emailer was and the emailer was actually an employee of the NDP government. And so I went on oh, nice. air and I and I and I read this out about who this person, uh, who this uh, person uh, uh, was Uh here was a response when I, when I put this criticism on the air. This would have been the end of August or beginning of September 2009. Uh, written by Sony named Robin with a Y, McAvoy. Uh, Hello, Rick. I can't substantiate the claim Marty Gold is racist or sexist because I'm not a regular listener. I find his incessant rambling to be an annoying turnoff. So during the hours of his program, I am forced forced to listen to commercial radio instead of being able to support your independent station. Yesterday, I tuned in briefly and was intrigued by the way he slandered the name and reputation of someone who exercised their freedom of speech. From the few times I've listened to the great Canadian talk show, I got the impression that Marty Gold was a supporter of both freedom of speech and opinions different from the norm. He showed himself a hypocrite today. In his presentation, of the letter of complaint sent to you, the station manager. I failed to understand how one's career path would affect one's choice of music or exercising the right to speak against a person or program could be construed as intimidation. Uh, I understand Kick's primary purpose is not to garner listeners, so i hope you'd respect their opinions and take that under consideration, the f- take under consideration the feedback you get. As a longtime resident of Winnipeg, I've been listening to Kick since its inception. I, too, am an indie rock and music lover, but unfortunately, I find it difficult to continue listening to a radio station that supports the work of an egocentric host such as Marty Gould. And so Robin McAvoy also got the treatment. Uh, any listener can, turn, can comment on or, or about the Great Canadian Talk Show. But when a listener dismisses the existence, let alone quality of my research, makes serious allegations I'm a racist and a sexist, did you say something about slander, pressures the station to, quote, do something about me and does not respond to my request to provide any proof of their claims. I'm deficient. My responsibilities as a broadcaster, I looked into their background. It turns out the emailer had direct connections to two members of cabinet who I've spoken critically about. Formerly employed by one, a rumored candidate for premier, and am currently employed by another, the deputy premier, no less, who's co-chair of a delegated convention process. I went off a little bit about the anti grassroots nature of the NDP conventions. It is plain the e- email complaint was a bald attempt to exert pressure for a political purpose and to intimidate kickoff feminists, stifling any discussion critical of Gary Doer. not the first time in the NDP secession process. Uh, in, the case, in this case, the dirty work was being done by a concealed political operative on government time, as I was told she was at work at the legislature the morning the email was sent, who, and whose claim to being a concerned listener is a pretext. The reason why one is unable to continue to support a product in this case is irrefutably connected to her paycheck.
0: Hmm.
1: If she was truly sincere, she would have provided some examples uh, that substantiates her complaint. Instead, her ad hominem attack amounted to a drive-by smear from within the walls of government intended to cost me my livelihood. The NDP government from Gary on down repeatedly ignores our request invitations to appear on the show with perhaps two exceptions the last year. Remember, Cord McIntosh came on, but that was in 2007 during the election, the provincial election. Uh, They do not even within with a couple of exceptions, they do not even have the courtesy to respond with a can't do it. Choosing not to take advantage of our open door policy, appear on the air, face the campus radio audience and refute the criticisms. They would rather put me out of business and avoid accountability. I will ask Rick to review the broadcast. And if he believes there is any slander of her reputation, which I put in quotes, or if I was unfair to her, I'll gladly correct the record. For now, her reputation includes sending a defamatory email on the taxpayer's dime and trying to get me fired to protect her political
0: bosses. That's the kind of shit we were up against. Those are the best letters of complaint, where they're like, I don't listen to Marty's show, but when I listened to his show this week, I heard him say these things. Yes. If you don't listen to his show, why are you listening to the show? It doesn't make any sense (laughs) what you're saying. (laughs) Well, when you work for the
1: NDP under Gary Doerr, Greg Salinger, it's easy to know why.
0: Yeah, you can say whatever you want, apparently.
1: OK, so to wrap up this sort of look back, we'll skip over 2010 a little bit. But I did find that January 1st, 2010, I filed a FIP on Kevin Nixon to get everything I could about the bike, about <laughs> the bike lanes, <laughs> which I know made Kevin Nixon's year in 2010. Oh, uh, I have uh, found the, a, a copy of the Community Living Coffee Shop newsletter that was published by Bob Axford on the back page of that edition, dated December 21st, 2009. Alternative Media Stories of the Year. And so uh, this is based on our third anniversary uh, celebration on November 20th on KICK-FM. And, and, uh, and th- those were good shows, let me tell you. Every anniversary show, uh, along with listeners, we select Story of the Year in two categories. Um, uh, and uh, the winning selections were announced uh, uh, on December uh, 28th that year. And so from bottom to the top, uh, we'll go for the top 10, and this is the stories of the year in 2009. Again, just to show the kind of impact uh, that, uh, that this kind of, of coverage, that independent coverage, why it's invaluable. Here was the top 10 stories of 2009, Kenny.
0: Okay.
1: Number 10, exposing the public trustee's office. <laughs> the family awesome. discovered the, the criminal-like tactics to fleece the father's estate of $7,000 every three months while he was left with a proper medical care in Riverview.
0: Oof. Pretty good? That's pretty good.
1: Number nine, Ortalia. Oh, my gosh. To this day, the free press has never collected their their mistake. <laughs> and so on October 30th of 2009, when we had Adam West on the program, uh, he was in for Comic-Con. He accepted the role of Consul General of Ortalia. and oh, announced I he forgot about addition- that. I he would initiate, that, Adam West. I've got that interview on a disc here. Uh, he would initiate the diplomat, diplomatic relations with the fictional town of Quahog, where he's mayor on Family Guy. That is
0: amazing. Wow. Number
1: eight in 2009. You don't hear stories like this on Winnipeg Radio anymore. Uh, under, unreported in the mainstream media, Bay State Medical Center in Springfield Uh, Massachusetts, asked medical journals to make retractions because his former chief of acute pain, Dr. Scott Rubin, had faked data using 21 studies uh, performing uh, uh, that purported that COX-2 drugs such as Vioxx, Celebrex, and Effexor XR were safe. Remember when everybody was being handed out Vioxx like it was candy?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%.
1: So here was a leading anesthetist faking studies And this is, again, you wonder what what would have happened had we been on radio the last few years. There would have been some discussion about studies, fake or otherwise, with regards to other things being put out in the public marketplace. Number seven, and in retrospect, this story became much bigger than number seven as it played out. The death of Gail Glesby. When we caught the Health Sciences Center hiding proof about multiple falls when she was in an emergency room. And she was left in a hallway, strapped in a wheelchair, dying of a brain bleed while her family, her family had been told she had been discharged from the hospital. Yeah, that's sad. And the operator hung up on them. And to this day, every year, the family recognizes the work that the Great Canadian Talk Show did to get their family the truth. And I attended that meeting where um, I'm trying to remember the name of the of the, of the guy who uh, uh, was running the hospital at the time. Uh, there's two people there, actually. Is a Perry so the chief, the, the the chief medical officer of the hospital uh, and uh, there's Perry and Adam uh, and um, uh, they apologized personally to the family for what we had uncovered when the family heard. I think the brother, uh, I think the brother was listening to the show and told Ashley to tune in. And then Ashley got a hold of, of me and we uh, had them get the files. They did not realize they were entitled to their mother's medical files uh, from the hospital. And then with the help of our uh, anesthetist, uh, uh, anesthetist with a law degree uh, on 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 call. Um, we were able to to reconstruct the records to show what happened in that timeline, and that in fact Gail Glesby had been the victim of of not just negligence but callous negligence on behalf of the hospital.
0: That's the right uh, term, callous negligence. That's the perfect yes. term.
1: Number six in 2009, the Bill Blakey exclusive interview where we scored the only extensive interview with the former MP, uh, when he was running uh, to, uh, uh, when he flipped seats, basically with Jim Malloway, Malloway, uh, uh, moving into federal politics and, uh, the Blakey, moving uh, after retiring federal politics, moving into provincial politics, they basically swapped Elmwood out. Our interview was the first time anyone heard of a commitment for additional funding from the NDP to keep the Israeli freeway open during Reconstruction. Yeah. Number five, and boy, I I, I have the notes for this around the corner. I should have grabbed them. Inside the free press union conflict, <sighs> the battle between rank and file uh, uh, CEP members who felt frozen out of the strike negotiations and later tried to initiate job sharing and the arrogant union leadership. And I have notes around the corner of what uh, what we were being told uh, from the internal correspondence, the letters that were being sent out, the email sent to the union membership about how ungrateful they were, about all the hard work Aldo Santine and the strike committee were doing.
0: Don't they get pork or something like that?
1: Coming right up, <laughs> comes up. Uh, number four, two tier justice. This was uh, really got under not only our skin, but the skin of a lot of people uh, when we discussed how there was an attempted home invasion on a Crown attorney. No one was injured, an attempted home invasion, and the individual got sentenced to 57 months. But a 15-year-old with two accomplices stormed an Alexander Avenue house in Weston uh, that his sister had been evicted from, stabbed the new occupant, nearly killed him, got 27 months. Oh, So a a two-and-a-half-year difference where nobody was stabbed, nobody got actually into the house, but a Crown attorney, uh, because a Crown attorney, uh, their home had been uh, uh, an attempted break-in, almost five years was the sense. And that disparity of how the legal system viewed protecting their own as being more important than protecting innocent people uh, who had made the mistake of moving into a house where somebody had been evicted previously and harbored a grudge, uh, that caused a lot of controversy in its time. Hmm. Number two uh, for 2000, or sorry, number three for 2009, the meth caller. And that goes back to January. Oh, and this that was a good when, call. This one, meth was not, was just starting to emerge in the discussions of the ills of Winnipeg. Yeah. A friend of meth addict, Daniel Vandenbosch, explained her view of his shooting himself when cornered by cops. That was over on St. Matthews in
0: uh,
1: Beverly, I think, Probably yeah. Street, right around there, Kenny. uh and we were talking about it on the air and a girl called
0: in and uh i I was running the board that day i remember your face when you first when they first when she first made that connection and you're like oh my god what's going on here and it was just like this she talked for like 15 20 minutes that was amazing
1: um she called when she called in um And discuss this one thing that the one point that that is i think when people even vaguely remember this you know a guy was surrounded by cops and shot himself was that he had been uh he was linked uh this was with this apprehension was hours after a raid uncovered guns uh illegal guns to which he was uh, he was believed he was linked to yeah um she told of the deep-rooted meth epidemic in the city, often overlooked by MSM and politicians. And so we were way, way ahead of the curve. Yeah, and that was in January, I think, of two thousand nine, early on.
0: I remember her just saying how powerful the drugs were and like how much they messed people up. And everyone's like, "Yeah, yeah," a lot of people are just shrugging it off. But she was absolutely right. She was one hundred percent,
1: one hundred percent right. And that, um, that, that call. You know that that moment in radio, as, as Baverstock, I, I remember him explaining it to some some students uh, that came through the studio one day, and he was he was explaining the nature of uh, of open line radio, and that you can have people called in that know something about a story you're talking about, and and can explain what's going on in the community the media is not covering, and the politicians aren't aware of.
0: Yep, whole new point of view, whole new point of view.
1: Uh, number two in 2009, the real story of the New Year's Eve vigilante hate crime, what? the beating of the carjacker on Horace Street. So remember when the media tried to make out that this guy was was like mugged on the street on like New Year's Eve and it was somehow connected to his uh, ethnic and or racial background, but it turned out he had tried to uh, force his way into a car. It was oh being my. warmed up with the baby in the back seat. So of course, people piled oh. out of the house and kicked the crap out of him and held him for police.
0: Yes <laughs> That was amazing.
1: And we I had live, the family.
0: proud big right there!
1: <laughs> and we we had correspondence directly from the family. I, I think they were Métis on top of everything else. They're French, I know, but I think they're a Métis, and there are like people there that were of, of racialized, so called racialized background—a word it wasn't used back then—and they were just livid that the media tried to make make that this guy was was clobbered for any reason other than him being a criminal who was yeah. basically trying to kidnap a baby. Yeah, yeah, it's bad and so you could see how in in 2009 start in January again between the the vigilante hate crime the media invented and the yeah. meth caller
0: they already had that narrative the media already had that narrative that they sure there's, there's, did yeah. so
1: you could see how how early in that year you know that was in January uh, I'm the uh, the Bill Blakey uh, the death of Gail Gillespie, that came up in, like, April, I think it was, March and April. So you see that the whole year through, we, we had built quite a bit of momentum. But nothing gave us more momentum, uh, so to speak, than the number one story of 2009, Porkgate. Oh, I almost spoiled it. Sorry, guys.
0: but <laughs> the, <laughs>
1: Winnipeg, the Winnipeg Pork Free Gate. Press never once covered the story of how taxpayer-funded food for the poor – which was uh, pork donated to Winnipeg Harvest, mysteriously yeah. arrived at the picket line around their building, and it was later the cause of public health warnings due to the fact that it already <laughs> thawed and was reportedly refrozen. And I forced <laughs> the city officer, of uh, the city health officer, uh, uh, to, to, or as a provincial, I forced them.
0: Uh, so it, good. When
1: confronting them with the facts, I forced them to issue a press release to warn the free press employees not to eat the pork that had been fought.
0: <laughs>
1: and here's the free press this on so the picket perfect. lines about how, how hard done by they are and how, how underpaid they are. They're so poor they needed to accept free pork that some good Samaritan who was never – remember the controversy about this, how Dan Led and others kept changing the story of how the pork ended up on the picket line, a oh, well-meaning yeah. volunteer from Harvest. What was our connection to the strike? nothing and that's stri- that strike uh and listen a lot was a lot of reverb from that and uh, and uh, the behavior of the union was uh, not necessarily exemplary uh, during the course of that strike i know hard to believe you're hearing me stick up for the free press management in this instance but there was uh, some some typical old style union behavior that i don't think exists anymore i um, mean the union itself barely exists but uh, trudeau has made sure that they're uh, that they're well paid uh but that story demonstrated that we had the ability, we had the support of people inside the media, inside the free press, in fact, to make sure that the public understood what was going on with the newspaper at the time, what was going on with the strike negotiations, and the kind of tensions that develop in those situations. And it really shed, shed light on, on the hypocrisy of the media that, uh, that the newspaper itself um, didn't want to touch with the 10-foot pole, the embarrassment that their employees had 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 bragged about receiving Mary Agnes Walsh. They bragged. I think she was the one that leaked it.
0: Oh, probably. Actually. Flapped her gums. I'm surprised they didn't have pork recipes on their blogs that day. <laughs> God, can you imagine? Just, I so, <laughs> it was so amazing that moment in time. Like, you we got you this pork because you're on strike. Okay, thanks. Oh, it's tainted. You're going to be
1: sick <laughs> now there were other stories in 2009 that, that got honorable mentions uh the uh, the overall credibility collapse of the free press because uh, uh you know this was uh this would have been probably a year after uh uh save the fort gate for it for save the fort gate gate right the yeah. hotel the say, save the uh the uh um Save something It's still to this day, come to think of it, Upper Fort Garry, uh, as far as I know, it's still not completed and still requires millions of dollars. But God forbid we have an apartment building uh, blocking the view of the Manitoba Club. Um, we forced in 2009 Dave Chomiak to apologize to Mayor Cates after claiming Cates was opposed to photo radar refunds. When the NDP was trying to justify, well, the mayor doesn't support it either. And we got hold of Sam and he said, <laughs> no, the ticket's illegal. People should get their money back.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. That was funny.
1: Revelations about the parking authority bull, uh, uh, bullying employees uh, and uh, inner city residents and businesses and how all tickets issued out of the G4S may have been invalid because they weren't properly sworn officers. And, you know, how this didn't actually make the the top 10, I guess it it probably evolved more so in 2010 than 2009, Uh, Manitoba Hydro Executives violating the Whistleblower Act when they went after the hydro whistleblower. And it would have been the next year because I think it was probably on April 1st of 2010 that I had her uh, on the air. And we were the only media outlet that the hydro whistleblower would talk to. And how much of what she said has turned out to be true in terms of hydro not planning properly for drought years and the enormous debt that Manitobans were going to be left with. And so you can see that on a on a week-to-week basis, certainly on a day-to-day basis, that's the kind of work that was done, not just by myself, by people like Spirited Kenny, Stasia, uh, D- uh, Denise um, uh yeah you know when you people talk about how injurious this was at Margot Goodhand, I you know I can't believe that students are learning from this you stupid old st- old washed up typist. yeah, I sure heard Josh Grummet, who's made a career out of oh working investigative journalism ever since he left.
0: yeah, he's been a huge firecracker. He also worked for the bombers too. he did their uh live yep, game day stuff
1: yeah. and so you know, This this, you know, the establishment love to say this is going to harm young minds. And some of you people weren't really young at the time. And it's it's bad for the audience. Yeah. Now, you tell me, is Winnipeg better off or worse off for the existence of the great Canadian talk show? And is it better off or worse off that there's nothing like it on the air today where journalism students or for that matter, techs operators can learn their trade in an interactive manner? I, there is no talk show in Winnipeg whatsoever that that, that even handles open line calls anymore, uh, none that create news. And this is what open line radio is supposed to do. But under the thumb of corporate masters and with the great fear of, of uh, I, I guess, that, uh, that there'll be pushback from established interests, um, nobody has balls enough to do it or try it. And in that regard, Winnipeg's been abandoned and uh, deserved a lot better. But uh, as I as I've indicated, we certainly have done what we could. We continue to do it on uh, on Shaw TV with City Circus. I found the letter um, from Shaw uh, putting us on the schedule, as a matter of fact, from 2012 from, I guess, it was Lindsay Perkins at the time uh, describing what City Circus was, was going to be, which was a, you know, essentially a version of what we did on radio. Yeah. A- and and so uh, by no means is this comprehensive. I just want to do a little blast for the past. Look back in time. Um, for new listeners, explain who we are, what we do, the kinds of accomplishments we had. It's a, a different game and a different time of life now, but the the spirit remains strong and the the uh, goals and objectives remain the same, which is whenever possible to shine a light on public affairs, to provide a different approach and a different perspective, to uh, at all times repudiate media narratives that are based in in uh, in uh, desirable out, desired outcomes of the media and not on what is best for the public and certainly holding politicians to account.
0: One of my biggest, uh, I don't, I don't want to say regrets, but one of the, the points that I remember is after the Great Canadian Talk Show, or Great Canadian Talk Show was cancelled, I got an email uh, from the guy that chases the University of Manitoba professor that does the storm chasing in uh, Manitoba. And he was asking me about the can alert, uh, alerting system. And what was going on with it? And I was like, oh. oh
1: you, you see, there's a story that was like, I guess the year before, where, where Stephen Fletcher, who was minister, the minister at the time, if I remember correctly, and and you stopped him in his tracks when he was talking about was it the five one one system and it still hadn't been implemented.
0: Yeah, something. Yeah, and, something like and that. And it
1: contributed to the disaster in Eli, the
0: tornado. Was that an F five? That was the only F five in Manitoba. And y- even an in that R-10. regard.
1: You know, there's a story the media covered to death, but did not cover the five one one angle. That was what you and Josh did that. Yeah. That story, and that was an excellent story. And there were a number of excellent stories that were provided, not you know, by me, but by the people that were working on the program, by the volunteers and the interns. Yeah, uh, that's right. That contributed to it. And and you know, it wasn't only news stuff. We covered. I did uh, interviews. We we covered sports. We covered community affairs. Um, uh, uh, charitable endeavors, fundraising efforts. McDonald Youth Services was one. Um, uh, we did ex- uh, 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 the large, uh, the work Larsh does, and the cafe when it opened in Transcona. These are just off the top of my head. The blood bank drive that Red yeah, River yeah. College students uh, were involved in. So we uh, interviews uh, interviews with Frank Mahovlich, with uh, Bob Luke, former Blue Bomber. I remember that in particular because Luke had been a childhood hero of mine. And I just found his phone number where I wrote his phone number down on a slip of paper. And it's actually I put it back. I'm going to put it back in my desk drawer as a memento. <laughs> um, uh, Kenny Omega. Before anybody oh, interviewed yeah, Kenny yeah, Omega, yeah. we had Kenny Omega on the program. That was amazing. Uh, uh, Brian Danielson uh, became Daniel Bryan WWE and wrestling in AEW with uh, with uh, Omega again. Um, uh Boy, there's uh, racers, uh, martial artists, uh, just a, a you know, we really tried to cover who was who in this community and 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 people of accomplishment with as broad a stroke as possible. And and to this day, you know, I didn't mention this probably in the previous podcast, Kenny. Uh, this one being number twenty-seven. But during the course of the election campaign and even at a wrestling show this past summer. I'm trying to remember where we were. I was actually probably Holy Eucharist Hall and, and these, these guys, there's three or four guys I go over to talk with them after the show and they're having a a laugh or maybe it was during intermission. And one of them said "You used to be, it just points at me. You used to be on radio. I go, yeah. Hmm. And they were all listeners of the radio program. And and that happens with remarkable frequency, whether people recognize me from, from, um, uh, from City Circus, from the TV program, or where they recognize, recognize my voice from radio? It happens with, uh, it, it is not like Haley's Comet. It's more frequent than I would have ever uh, expected.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, your your voice is kind of unique. You know, when people hear it, they're like, is this the guy that was talking? If they close their eyes and listen to you, they're like, oh, yeah, that or is. They, or they turn the channel. <laughs> or yeah, they should turn the channel if they don't like it. The things we've learned.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we've learned a few things and maybe we've unlearned a few other things. It's hard to say. Uh, so I, I want to just sort of take a moment to, now to thank everybody whoever worked on the program, the people who contributed, uh, and, uh, and to all the people who listened to both the radio program on Kick FM uh, and uh, to the people who followed our ongoing work in the realm of citizen journalism uh, since then whether on the podcast medium, shot TV, other places where I've done interviews. Um, and uh, I, you know, I, I got sucked into this for strange reasons, uh, mostly because of the lessons I learned from Yoram HaMizrahi and Nick Turnett in the 1980s. Uh, but it's important that the community has a, has a voice uh, and continues to have a voice one way or the other in this, uh, in this, uh, in this market. And uh, it's uh, contrary to the belief of, uh, of others Uh, There was never a complaint with the CRTC. There was never a successful uh, complaint filed, let alone successfully executed with the CRTC. Uh, And this program, uh, clearly, uh, this work contributed to the development of young minds, the development of of broadcasters, of professionals. Uh, And I stand by that record. And I I stand by my friendship with with Spirited Kenny as well that has endured everything that has been tossed at us in, in terms of criticism. And we remain here today. Today, and uh, and moving into the future, uh, continuing to uh, demonstrate uh, insight and irreverence, and hopefully equal measures when it comes to public affairs. That's right.
0: There's lots uh, more to talk. Uh, okay,
1: uh, I I think that's enough. Uh, that's enough of the anniversary talk. And so the uh, the pivoting pitch here. Email me MartyGoldLive at gmail.com. You can uh, make donations to further this. Work. I'd like to file some FIPAs next year, and I uh, some of those sometimes those come up with some fees. Uh, I'd like to anticipate those, uh, but your donations uh, help fuel this, and uh, they are appreciated. You can do so uh, by following the links uh, through PayPal, um, and as well, this coming Sunday at 6 p.m. start time, Holy Eucharist Parish. Center. It's called Parish Center, not Parish Hall, in East Gildonan. The CWE 50-man Rumble, to remember, will uh, include a title match. Uh, Mentolo defending his championship. He is one of the most decorated champions in all of the country, holding title belts in multiple uh, promotions, a star in Japan and Mexico, uh, and the uh, pride of the West End. He'll be defending his title. The tag team titles will be on the line. Uh, the uh, uh, CWE Central Canadian Championship Will be up for grabs. The son of uh, the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith Jr., will be in action. The main event, the 50 man rumble to remember. And I will be in that match. The winner will get a title opportunity at the CWE anniversary show, 14th anniversary show coming up in January. I'll be hosting the event on Sunday. And then after the intermission, I will be donning the boots of Canada and my psychedelic jacket. And I don't know what, have no idea what number I'm going to be drawn in to enter the ring. Uh, but I will uh, go in there, do my best, and, uh, and uh, engage in the, uh, in the heinous act of tossing my opponents over the top rope to the cement floor underneath and uh, trying to clear the path for myself to challenge mentolo or whoever else holds
0: the, uh,
1: holds the CWE Championship at that time in January.
0: Oh, my word.
1: And Kenny will be there. I will be is, there. And is going to be doing some form of simulated play-by-play. Uh, for my my time in the ring, and then the plan right now, as long as I if I don't if I win the match, I'm going over to ringside to do an interview with Kenny. That's and if right. If I don't win the match, uh, hopefully I don't end up with a broken head or broken uh, leg when I hit the floor, and I will drag myself over to Kenny to do uh to be interviewed by Kenny, his first ever sports interview, I think. Yeah. Uh, about uh, uh, and you'll be able to ask me all those civil sportscaster questions.
0: Oh, what happened there? I might, I might have to have like a, a corkscrew counter.
1: Yeah. How are you feeling in this moment? <laughs> so we're going to do some, uh, we're going to tape the podcast from uh, uh, for on location and see how that turns out. And it will include uh, for up uh, first uh, Kenny t- trying to do play by play of uh, of my misadventures in the ring. That's right. Uh, and I ho- and for tickets, get a hold of me or go to the CWE to CWE online. You can find them through Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And uh, it's family friendly entertainment. Come on out. It's a celebration of, of wrestling in Winnipeg, uh, really. And uh, and uh, it's uh, you know the other half of my identity. Uh, it's uh, the the. Uh, more more, fun, less aggravation most of the time.
0: It's the Batman to Bruce Wayne being Marty so Gold. To in a
1: way, Dr. Marty Goldstein Dr. Marty again, Gold. again, lace up the boots uh, and end my first match was in June of 2018 in Elmwood. I got the crap knocked out of me, but I know a lot more now, so it'll be a lot harder to knock the crap out of me, as many of my opponents have learned in past uh, Rumble Tour members. Uh, Kenny, final words? Uh,
0: you know what? I don't have much right now, actually, to be honest. I was just reading news stories about these cows that ate hemp and got high, and then they made milk that had THC and CBD oil in it. So that's what I was reading.
1: Has uh, Trudeau licensed it yet?
0: I don't know. It would be good, right? I might drink dairy again.
1: You might. (laughs) Or you might not. My dad had a similar intolerance but he would put up with it anyways if there was a milkshake nearby
0: exactly for ice (laughs) cream it's worth the sacrifice
1: yeah sometimes it's worth the sacrifice Kenny thank you for everything you've done for me over the years my friend I appreciate it very much
0: no problem. Thank you.
1: We wouldn't be here without him because he's the one with the recording equipment. That's it for <laughs> for us. Uh, uh, hopefully, you were entertained by our great Great Cup recap, which was uh, which was through the magic of, of of podcasting. That was the first part of the program. This anniversary recap, which has gone way too long. The second part of the program back with more next week. And remember, as always, you
0: have the power. Thanks for listening to the Great Canadian Talk Show. If you want to email Marty send it to TGCTS1 at gmail.com or follow him on Twitter at TGCTS.